Where did you get a Mike Dunn jersey? You can you can buy all sorts of things on the internet. So hold on. So what you're telling me is you voluntarily purchased a Mike Dunn jersey. I got it for Christmas. I requested it for Christmas. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Hello and welcome to episode six of Affected by Altitude. I'm Ben Kuchner-Kavich and Sam Branfield is not here today. She apparently has real life things to do, so she's not going to be joining us recording this podcast today. However, I am joined by editor, editor, a editor at Purple Row, uh, Adam Peterson and also Renee Deckert has good internet and is finally here to join us. Uh, so let's talk about how the Rockies are doing right now. They're 37 and 34 overall, which is two games back in the wild card race. They're not going to beat the Dodgers anytime soon as the Dodgers have developed quite a lead in the National League West. The Rockies are five and five on their last 10 after a pretty crazy series at Coors Field with the San Diego Padres. The offense is doing well right now. Uh, especially the uh, trio of outfielders and David Dahl, Charlie Blackman, and Ian Desmond. Uh, David Dahl will start off by talking about him. He's hitting 336, though we should note it is with a BABIP over 430, which is the highest in the National League. Uh, according to defensive, uh, sorry, deserved runs created plus at baseball prospectus, it's a 111 for David Dahl. So he's only been 11% above league average, according to their metric, which factors in a lot of things like park factors, even game time temperatures go into that statistic. So there's quite a lot that is impacted there. And, and it's worth noting seeing, with DRC plus as well, like the, the scale is not quite as grand as it is for something like WRC plus, right? Like, uh, yeah, you, you still got your major outlier of trout, right? It was like 180 or something like that. But, mm. you know, 111 is nothing to sneeze at is is kind of what I'm kind of what I'm getting at there like it's good but it's yeah there's other things going on there yeah so Renee have you seen anything from David Dahl that's stood out to you you know what I love how David Dahl doesn't hit grounders very much you know I mean David Dahl strikes out where he hits it in the air right and that's awesome and I'm super happy. I know this sounds ridiculous, but every time he gets hurt, we're all going, oh my gosh, David, no. And so I'm so happy that he's healthy. And every time that he, he sort of has the swing that's taken over what we lost with Carlos and Carlos Gonzalez in terms of that beautiful swing. And those numbers just confirm how good we all thought he was going to be. And I will say that looking at outs above average, he is right now the best outfielder that the Rockies have. And so David Dahl, I'm, I'm a big fan. You know, I think David Dahl and rookies should just own Coors because they're great. Man, I, I love what you said there about his swing, though, because I've been thinking the exact same thing for the past couple of weeks. Just like I just love his swing like that high two-handed finish it's just it doesn't have like like cargo might have one of the prettiest left-handed swings um since griffey retired um and i don't necessarily think that dolls in that stratosphere quite but it but it is just such a it's such a lovely swing to watch it's full-bodied uh, if i were describing a yeah. wine right it would be full-bodied so oh <laughs> now with a it's a little oaky after Renee, you have, you have Instagram and I don't. How is Rookie doing? 
Rookie is fine. Um, I don't know if you saw this or not. Rookie got into some foxtail, and apparently it irritated our young hero, and he was chewing on his paw, and so he was taken to the emergency room and taped up and placed in a cone of shame. Poor fellow. <laughs> but he seems to be fine, and I've come to sort of see him as like our the Rocky's guide, you know, where he hit... Our, our, our performance is dependent upon Ricky's health. So uh, I'm pulling for Ricky and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling for David Dahl too. Yeah, when Dahl got hit in the ribs the other day, I thought that was going to be very uh, big trouble. But then he comes up, hits a two-run triple in his next at-bat. So that was, that was very good. Well, so I, I was at that game. Um, and so we're sitting in the third deck, uh, you know, kind of ish behind home plate. And so he gets hit. And then he just goes down like a pile of bricks. And so obviously like you're thinking worst case scenario in that situation, like even if it's not David Dahl, but then you remember the guy doesn't have a spleen. And so you're like, maybe that's going to come into factor here. Um, it was, uh, it was not pretty, it took him a long time to recover too. Um, so, but yeah, then you're right. Like you, you know, if he was really that hurt, you don't come up and hit a two run triple. And it wasn't one of those cheapy triples where, you know, they just couldn't, couldn't get the ball or, you know, they're kicking around. And it looks like, you know, Yaki Sacks is playing out there. Like he drove that to the gap and he got on his horse and he was running. Like, I mean, it was just, it's exactly what you want to see after something like that happens to someone like David. And then Charlie Blackman. Now this is a tweet from at Saber Skeptic. In a week that's been completely nuts, Charlie Blackman put up a war number of 1.2. That's one week. June 10 to June 16. That's a higher war than has been accumulated all season by Paul Goldschmidt, Juan Soto, Adam Jones, Lorenzo Cain, Kyle Schwarber, Joey Votto, or Matt Carpenter. And Charlie... Combined? No, Charlie Blackman was the lead story on SportsCenter last night. What... I mean, this is just ridiculous what he's doing right now. What are you guys seeing when you react? How are you reacting to this? First of all, I'm ecstatic, Right. I mean, it's like, yes, Charlie. Um, I think that one of the things I really love about Charlie Blackman is he's a great student of the game. And I think he really thinks about it and he looks at where he's struggling and he practices at it. And I think he is a poster child for what you can do with hard work and really thinking about it. And I'm excited about it. And I, I have to say, I remember what despair we felt early in the season because he was not very good. And Charlie is having an amazing year, and I'm here for it. What about you, Adam? Um, I mean, when you're talking about a guy who's like setting or tying or trying to tie records that are 50, 60, 70 years old over this past weekend, like, you know, that – that makes you stand up and take notice. I, um, I coming into the season, you know, I, you know, there's a lot of us and, you know, I'm, I'm sure I wasn't alone. We were just kind of nervous about, okay, what's it going to look like? Hopefully, um, Charlie not playing center field every day, uh, is, is going to help. Um, yeah. And, and that, that's really kind of all I could hope for. Um, and cause his defensive numbers were so bad and like, he just looked like it was wearing him down. And so it was just, not feeling great. And so I'm you know, pulling up his game logs. Like, you know, at one point he was 232, 289, 341. So that was, that was game 19. Um, you know, and then, then he misses some time because he, you know, he gets hurt, um, misses a couple weeks. And, 
you know, as it turns out, he was he was hitting pretty well in May. We just I just don't think we were necessarily paying that much attention. Um, and then he got hurt, and, but ever since he's come back, like he pulled. It, <laughs> this is crazy. So on June June tenth, so the start of the home stand, the start of the home stand, Charlie was hitting three hundred three, three sixty two, five seventy three, which which when you talk about where he was in mid April, like that's a huge jump. Like that's, that's crazy. That's awesome. Like that's the kind of thing you want to see <laughs> six games later. He's hitting three thirty six, three eighty five, six fifty two. Like, ah, uh, it's, it's one of those things where like the whole time I'm just, I'm enjoying watching it and, it, and it's fun to see tr- good Charlie Blackman. Um, my, my son and I, we, we watched the, the highlights, you know, the MLB.tv condensed games. Uh, during in the mornings, and so I'm slowly but surely teaching him who everyone is, um, and so so he, he knows he, he knows Nolan he knows Tapia. Um, anytime he sees anyone with dreads uh, in, on any team, he says Tapia. Um, he's two, so give him come some slack. But he uh, because Charlie's been showing up so much uh, recently, he's really gotten to know Charlie. And because when he hits home runs, they replay his song. Uh, I he. I caught him singing to himself the other day. Uh, I don't want to lose your love tonight. Like in a little two-year-old's voice. And so like, it's all these factors combined to just make me say like, I love good Charlie Blackman. Um, Yeah. And he's less bad in right field than he was in center. Cause I just looked his outs above average is minus two. So He's doing, he's all right. And so I just think it's pretty cool. Yeah. In the rock pile on Saturday, I had a link to uh, something from the sports info solutions blog. And they looked at how uh, outfielders have improved their defense when moved from center field to a corner. And it's happening for Charlie Blackman, uh, especially after an atrocious season in center field. He's not great this year in right field, but he's better. Same is true for Adam Jones, who's with the Diamondbacks now. The Orioles are playing him in center. Now the Diamondbacks are playing him in a corner, and he's really improved his defense as well. Yeah. So these are good signs. Yeah. The, the question is going to be, uh, I will say that there's just this small part of me that hopes that uh, what we're not seeing with Charlie is just a big Coors Field bump. Like, you know, he comes and plays seven games at home and he's you know knocking the cover off the ball uh so we'll see what he does for these next i think i think it's just a quick six game road trip we've got now uh, and so hopefully hopefully he can keep hitting i'm not asking him to get four hits a day every day for the next week or anything like that but i just want to i'm looking for signs that says that it wasn't just like you know a flash in the pan hot start but at least you know indicative that he's getting his stroke back and then another outfielder who's really turned it on as of late is Ian Desmond. So on Father's Day, I noticed that Rymel Tapia was in the starting lineup. And I said to myself, oh, no, is Ian Desmond not starting? And I do not think there has been a single time when Ian Desmond has worn a Rockies uniform that I have thought that to myself. Um, a couple days ago, Fangraphs, uh, I guess they weren't loading or something. They sent out a tweet that said some of their stats were having the trouble loading. I, I thought it was because they were having trouble calibrating Ian Desmond having a WRC plus over 100 <laughs> for the Rockies. And it's true now. He's at 102. He, he, Ian Desmond broke It's the only logical explanation. He, 
hitting 274, 336 on base, 509 slugging. That's that's a pretty good slash line. Yeah. And it's and it hasn't been cheap either. Like again, especially in the past like, you know, 3 4 weeks. Um, you know, it's not like uh all these uh ground balls are suddenly finding holes. Uh like he's actually stinging the ball. It's and it's he's sitting all over the park like the the grand slam he hit on Saturday night was uh, was not cheap. It was like 400, 416 feet or something like that into the bullpen. Like went off the top of the wall between the bullpens. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to do in my life with Ian Desmond being good. Like it's it's this is hard for me. I was I was the guy. I was the guy. What was it? Well, on this on this podcast, um, I wouldn't be surprised if our editor spliced this in. But I said, like, you know, Ian Desmond probably isn't going to get the playing time uh, to have a good year. Because at the time, Tapia was killing the ball. Um, and since then, Tapia's cooled off, and Desmond's run away with it. And so, like, th- this is me eating crow and saying that prediction was not not good. <laughs> we'll, we'll make some more later that we can hopefully uh, make fun of one way or the other. So. But let's give Ian Desmond Christmas. I mean, how many of us saw the fact coming that he would hit, at this point in 2019, the longest home run in baseball and the fastest home run in baseball? So to Manny Randawa, right, who's been telling us all year, Ian Desmond is a little bit different, folks. Shout out to Manny. He's earned it. And um, I'm excited about the new Ian Desmond 2.0, and I hope he stays with us. for a while. I've been wanting to take a dive into what's different um, for a while, and and I'm sure other folks have. And uh, Ben, I don't know if you've looked into it at all yet, but like, um, but yeah, it's just it's it's flabbergasting to me. Like, this is a guy who's just been, um, you know, not good. I was trying to think of a better word, but just we'll just we'll just say not good. I I have wondered. How much so? So he legitimately did different things with his swing, right? Right. That is that all of that is true. And Nick Grok wrote a piece about how he got a different kind of pitching machine and he did different kinds of training in the offseason. But I have wondered to what extent it matters to him to be in the outfield as opposed to first base. I wonder if he felt as uncomfortable there as the rest of us felt about him there. And he got back in yeah, the outfield he and he said, I'm home. I mean, I just wonder if that's a load that went off him and he was able to do other things. I mean, I've, you can't, there's no way to measure that, but I've been curious. Yeah. Well, and not only that, but like, you know, his first year, he was supposed to be the first baseman. Um, and then he got hurt. And so Reynolds was in there and it's like, well, they didn't really want to take Reynolds out. Um, and so he was bouncing all around and he kind of had a similar situation last year. Like he, he ended up bouncing around a little bit partially because he wasn't good, like partially because they were trying to give Ryan McMahon a shot, like, you know, and all these other things. And so like now he knows when he comes to the ballpark, like unless an injury happens, like if he's playing, he's in the outfield. I like, so I think that might be a factor too. Just, just the certainty, uh, not just like, Oh, I'm not in first base, you know, in the infield where I'm uncomfortable, but no, no, I know every day where I'm going to be. I wonder how much that plays a factor. Right. Let's let, let's play a game. call this um ian desmond's batted ball um um we'll 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 play this like price is right like closest closest without going 
we'll, we'll do closest without going under. Okay. So in 2016 or in 2017, his first year with the Rockies, Dan Desmond had a ground ball rate of 62.7%. In 2018, he had a ground ball rate of 62.0%. In 2019, what is currently Ian Desmond's ground ball rate? Did I read it something like 15%? No. I'll, I'll stop you there. It's, it's, it's not that low. <laughs> okay. So I lose. Yeah. So, so Ben, I have failed. It's your turn. I guess I'll go with like 40, maybe. 40? Yeah. Okay. Renee, I'll give you another guess. Um, yeah. So, so then I'm going to go 30. 30. Okay. It's, it's 45%. So it's not it like... I, I probably over overhyped it there, but like forty five percent, like that's that's borderline elite. Um, like having having a ground ball rate. I mean, he in twenty thirteen with the Nationals, he had a forty three percent ground ball rate, but otherwise, like he's been hovering around fifty percent or higher his entire career. Um, so for him to be at forty five percent is is not not something I would have anticipated. Do, do you guys want to do one more? Sure. I don't know. I embarrassed myself pretty bad on that last <laughs> one. So, um, uh, okay, Renee, line drive rate or fly ball rate? Which would which would you rather try and guess? Uh, I'll, I'll give you his two with the, two of the past two years, and then let you okay. let you guess. But you tell me which okay. one. Fly ball. Fly ball. Okay. So his fly ball rate in 2017 was 20.8 percent. His okay. fly ball rate in 2018 was 21.5 percent. His fly ball rate in 2019 is? 45%. I'll go with 50. 50. Uh, no. <laughs> so this time you guys were both way, way high. So it, it's, it's 31%, which, um, again, that's, uh, that's, that's an incredible change. So, like, it's, like, this isn't something where it's just, like, he's not, he's not getting lucky. Like, his BABIP... Uh, I'm double checking, but it's, it's 343, which, you know, in his best years, he's ran a higher BABIP. Um, but so like, that's, that's not terribly surprising, but you know, the makeup of what, how he's getting these hits is completely different. Um, and so, so there's something there with Ian and it's whether this, whatever it is, there's, there's a lot of there, there. This is one of my favorite stories of the year, though, right? I mean, the I just am so happy that Ian, his teammates and his, his coaches have spoken so highly of him for years, right? And we've been like, yeah, 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 clubhouse guy. How funny is that? And I'm so happy that this guy is finally working it out and doing some stuff because, you know, he really carried a load for a while and people were booing him a year ago. And good for you, Ian. So keep doing that, dude. View from the party deck. Well, now, Adam, let's talk a little bit about an article that you had posted today, which is Monday when we're recording this, about uh, playoff odds for the Rockies. And they are not looking great, even though the Rockies have improved their overall uh, place in the standings. It's something I just, I've been curious about. Like, I try not to look at playoff odds too often um, until we get to like August and September. So I've just been wondering, like, you know, watching the standings floating around. Um, I expected them to go up. Um, 
I, th- I feel like had Wade Davis been able to get a couple more outs this weekend, uh, they might be higher than they are. But they're not great. Like they're hovering right, you know, but between fan graphs and baseball prospectus and 538, they're hovering right around that 20% mark, which isn't bad, but it's also like it's ninth best in the National League uh, across the board. Um, I did look up last year. Last year, the day after Father's Day, the Rockies had 2.6% playoff odds. Uh, so obvious. So the normal caveats of like the playoff odds are just that they're odds. They're not prediction. Like they're not uh, fortunes. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, you know, two weeks ago, it seemed like, you know, this team had what it like, had what it takes to, uh, to keep going like that. But I don't know, like it, it feels like, it feels like the offense is carrying them right now in a way that is, uh, doesn't feel sustainable. I don't know. I, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but that's, it just makes me nervous. And then I I don't know how much this go, plays into that, but I saw on your article here in this table that the Rockies have the toughest schedule coming up for the rest of the season because they're playing uh, five sixteen as the opponent is the opponent win percentage and uh, the funny enough the second lowest in the National League is the Dodgers so they have the second easiest schedule after the Washington Nationals so that doesn't bode yeah, well so that either. ten and a half game gap between us and the Dodgers doesn't doesn't seem likely to close unless, I mean, the big reason why is because we got 16 games left, I think against the Dodgers. And so, you know, if we win all 16, you know, who knows what happens. <laughs> so yeah, I, it's just, just looking at the national league. I've been saying, I've been thinking it and saying it since the off season. Like it's just, it's so competitive. And like now it seems like there's some tiers that are starting to separate. Like you've got the, you got the Dodgers Cubs and now the Braves who have been, amazing recently um who who seem like uh pretty good bets to make it to the playoffs the phillies um have been up and down and like it feels like they've been up and down but you know they're they're still close to 10 games above 500 i think and uh so it's them and the brewers have been good and then and then i think after that it's like it's us the cardinals and the diamondbacks Uh, so it's like there's three tiers there um of, of teams and I don't know it's going to make it interesting to watch but it's also just going to make it absolutely nauseating as well <laughs> we wouldn't have it any other way well from uh, how the Rockies are doing now in these games that matter a lot let's talk about a game that doesn't matter the all-star game uh, who do you guys have representing the Rockies let's start with you Renee well, I think it's pretty – we're all pretty confident that Nolan's going to be the starting third baseman, right? I think that that, that, is, that is known. Um, I think Charlie's going to make it. I don't think he's going to start. Um, Trevor Story, I think, is going to make it, but I don't think he's going to start. And everybody, I hate to tell you this, I don't think Tony Walters is going to make it. I think, I think there are going to be other catchers who get the votes – and the stash is powerful, and I believe in the stash, and I just don't think the stash is going to be enough. Um, what about so you, Adam? The thing, I actually do think Trevor has a chance to start, uh, and that's because of the new voting procedures that they're doing. So instead of just like doing a fan vote all the way through, and that's who fi- picks the starters, uh, the voting is going to close at the end of the month, and it's going to be like the top th- either the top three or the top five, I don't remember, maybe one of you all remember, uh, go into 
top three. They go into a runoff. And so it's going to be like, um, it'll be probably be Baez, Swanson, and Trevor in a runoff. I, I do think Trevor will hit that top three. And if he keeps hitting the way he's hitting, uh, if he keeps stealing bags and he keeps playing the defense, like I think he might be able to turn enough heads so people be like, you know, yeah, that Javi Baez guy is pretty good, but uh, have you seen, have you met Trevor Story? So, otherwise, that's I think that's the only place where I I, disagree, I would disagree. I think I think our boy David Dahl has has a case, um, but I think I think it's gonna be hard because he certainly won't start because it's so crowded in the outfield, like. Bellinger and Yelich are just going uh, going off this year in a way that like surprises me every time I look at their stat line. But but here's my person that I most hope to make it that I don't think will is Scott Oberg. I really, really want Scott Oberg to get it. And I don't think it's going to happen because nobody knows who he is but us. But come on, Scottio has earned it. So for me... I think Nolan Arenado should be the starting third baseman. I think Trevor's story should be the starting shortstop. He leads all National League shortstops in baseball prospectuses version of war um, qu- by quite a large margin over Javier Baez. But I looked at the National League update on the results so far, and Story's in fourth place right what? now. Nick Ahmed's higher than him. Nick um, Ahmed? I know. And um, so... I think it was, I forget what the separation was, 800,000-something votes for Baez and then 400-something for the next three. But Rockies fans need to get out and vote for Trevor Story. Um, I think Herman Marquez should be in the All-Star game. Um, baseball Prospectus, again, according to their uh, wins above replacement, have Marquez as the third best pitcher after uh, Steven Strasburg and Hyunjin Ryu. And Charlie Blackman, I want to say, should be there. It's kind of difficult because there's so many good infielders in the National League that you want to get in there. I definitely have Bellinger, Yelich, and Acuna as my starters. Uh, Conforto has been really good, too, for the Mets. And I think Blackman kind of should get in there, but he might be a casualty of the roster. I mean, they take like – it's like a 35-man roster or something like that, especially once you factor in guys who have to sit out for injuries or pitchers who aren't going to throw, and so they give the spot to someone else. Like – so I think it's possible, but I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I think you're right. It's it's gonna be crowded. I hadn't thought about Marquez because you know he's had a rough couple of starts the past couple couple times out. Um, but I don't know. Uh, I think I think if they did the All Star game the way I wish they did it, which is you know a 365 day kind of voting process, like not just the first half All Stars, but who's been the best. Uh, players since the last all-star game i I feel like he would be a uh, maybe not a lock but maybe he should be uh but unfortunately it's the first half all-stars is what we actually get so we talked about scott oberg a little bit so that's been the bright spot of the bullpen but let's talk about what's been going wrong with the bullpen uh wade davis had a really rough weekend mike dunn had a really rough weekend at least well one game he was allowed to pitch in was very poor um what 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 should we do about the bullpen? Adam, you go first with that one. I want to. I'm going to follow you on this. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, because I'm just. I just want so much to talk about the bullpen. Um, I feel like this whole season has been the story of um, one side of the ball, either. And when I say sides of the ball, I mean one aspect of the game. So either the offense, the starters, or the relievers. 
um, have just kind of been sabotaging us. And frankly, the relievers have been the only ones this year who haven't really had a stretch where it's just like, oh man, the bullpen blew it again. Like, you know, San Juan O has had rough time and uh, Mike Dunn's had it rough. But otherwise, like, as a unit, they've been pretty good. Uh, and so, like, so for this weekend, which has got to be the stupidest weekend series I've ever seen in my years of following the Rockies, uh, it's just to, to watch the bullpen just give up so many runs. Like, the pitching staff as a whole gave up 44 runs. Um, but, I mean... Hoffman gave up one run in his start on Friday or on Saturday. Uh, yeah, Friday or Thursday. I mean, Marquez, well, he ended up getting tagged for a couple extra ones after the fact there on, on Saturday. But the, but for the bullpen to just kind of just collapse over the course of four days like they did was just really, really disheartening. And and actually, if you throw in the, the last game of the Cubs series, uh, it doesn't look good. So I don't know what they need to do. I, I know that uh, Wade Davis is getting paid a whole uh, boatload of money, but I think that guy needs a reset um, and just to be taken out of the closer role. And like, um, I think Scott Oberg did really well in the closers role while Davis was on the shelf. Uh, but otherwise, like, I don't know what to do. Like, I mean, just all weekend, it's like you couldn't trust anyone. You, like, no one could get it out uh, or. No one could get it out without giving up runs. It was just, it was hard to watch as a fan. Here's my concrete thing to do. I, they have to get a lefty reliever, right? Um, Rustin hasn't worked. Dunn hasn't worked. They brought Deal up to see if he was ready. He's not ready. I think he's going to be fun and terrific, but not yet. So as far as I'm concerned, if if you give me, you know, if, if Dick Monfort hands me the credit card and says, Renee, go get, go fix this. I'm going to find me a lefty reliever. That's what I want. Yeah. I, I mean, maybe we should start thinking about that. I, I honestly haven't been, but I mean, we're getting close, you know, trade deadline is a hard and fast trade deadline this year on July 31st or August 1st. Um, so maybe, maybe it's time to start having those conversations. Who, who are those relievers to go get? And I don't know. I haven't been paying enough attention to who's been, getting outs for bad teams uh, to see who they could go and get. But I, I think that's a, I think that's a great place to start. So Ben, what do you think? What do we, what, what does one do about a bullpen? Yeah. We talked about Oberg potentially replacing Davis in the closers role. Um, According to DRA, Davis has not been that bad collectively this year. He's been above average. Uh, these are just two really tough situations. But on the other hand, like Oberg has been better, so perhaps he's more deserving of that role, even if Davis hasn't been necessarily that bad overall. Um, Mike Dunn has been really bad for three years now, so I think it's certainly time to talk about maybe moving on from Mike Dunn, even though he's one of the higher paid relievers in the top four on this team this year. But the, but this is the last year of his contract, right? I think so, yeah. If, if that's the case, and moving on with him, like, yeah, it would hurt, but honestly, like, it can't hurt any more than uh, watching him pitch. <laughs> so. Oh, I'm so ashamed I left out Jake McGee. How did I do that? Well, I don't know. He hasn't... Uh, he hasn't, yeah, he's been hurt most of the year we'll go with that. So that is, for me, that's the thing. That's the first thing that happened. And I, and I have to say, and I may be an outlier in this one, 
I really believe in Bud Black and I really believe in Bud Black's ability to work with pitchers. So I tend to think he will find a way through this. But right now, I just don't see the personnel. And I have a signed baseball for Mike Dunn. I talked about that last week. And I have a Mike Dunn jersey, too. So I don't want to necessarily <laughs> get rid of Mike Dunn. But it's been a little bit rough to watch him come into games. Where did you get a Mike Dunn jersey? You can, you can buy all sorts of things on the internet. So, hold on. So what you're telling me is you voluntarily purchased a Mike Dunn jersey. I got it for Christmas. I requested it for Christmas. You, you specifically requested a Mike Dunn jersey. It wasn't one of those things where it's just like, oh, get, get, give me someone I don't have. It was I want, like, yeah, no, I wanted, I, want a, I wanted, I mean, there were a few players I said, but Mike Dunn was one of them. Yeah. Um, ben, you're awesome. <laughs> That's great. I, I, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Why? <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll just go. You just know they're going to hit. And now let's move on to some summer book reviews with Renee Deckert. She's been writing a couple of book reviews and maybe more to come, depending on what kind of books get published for the rest of the summer. Uh, We had one about If These Walls Could Talk by Drew Goodman and most recently The MVP Machine by uh, Ben Lindbergh and Trevor Sochik. And let's talk a little bit about this now, Renee. Are the Rockies, this was the title of your uh, book review, Are the Rockies Lagging Behind a Player Development Evolution? Because Lindbergh and Sachik, uh, that's this is what their book is about. It's how baseball's new nonconformists are using data to build better players. And Adam Adovino was one player who kind of used driveline as a place to reinvent themselves. And that's what's talked about in the book. But the book mainly talks about Trevor Bauer as a starting pitcher who has used it. But we've seen uh, Rockies pitchers uh, using it as well or being sent there. But maybe it's taken a little while for the Rockies to get to the point where they want to send their pitchers there. So one of the things that was really interesting to me in the book, and by the way, if you if you follow baseball, you should read the MVP machine because... Um, there is so much there. When I was writing the book review, it's already too long and there was so much I didn't get to say that I wanted to say. It's going to be the kind of thing that people talk about for a long time. And I hope that um, we don't get sidetracked with Trevor Bauer. He is um, he's controversial and I agree with all of that. But he provides a vehicle to tell a story and I don't think anyone else could have done that. So, and I think one of the ways into it for Rockies fans that matters is that Trevor Bauer was the first person to go to driveline and try to recreate himself and build a new pitch in this way. And Adam Adovino was the first one to go to driveline to decide if what Kyle Bodie at driveline and Trevor Bauer had done was replicable. And we know now that it was. So um, you read the review, Ben. What did you think just sort of I get, I, I'm worried I'm going to talk too much. So, what did you? What are some of the questions that you have, or some ideas that stuck out with you that we can we can talk about? Well, so it's talking about uh, Adovino specifically was the Edgartronic camera that he was using, and how um, when I think it was Sachik when he was describing uh, talking to Adovino, Adovino or something kind of 
he was asked if the Rockies facilitated him going there or something, and he his response was kind of chuckling. Yes. But so, uh, yeah, so that was something that stood out to me. And then showing it to Chad Bettis, and Chad Bettis looking at it like it was some sort of alien object, that kind of stood out to me a little bit. Um, I, I think that, so what comes across in the MVP machine is that the Rockies were not particularly forward thinking about what Driveline was doing. That is That is what... Ottavino makes pretty clear. So I suspect that the fact that they sent, what, Bettis, McGee, Hoffman, Shaw, John Gray, and I think Darren Holmes went, all the driveline in the offseason suggests that maybe after watching Ottavino, the Rockies said, hey, there's something here. Um, let's go find out. And Somebody asked in the in the Minchies of the art of the review if perhaps Kyle Freeland should go. And I think that's a Driveline isn't a fix you now kind of thing. That's what Bud Black and the Rockies do. They fix you now. Driveline is about going there to find a new way to create a pitch or get better at a pitch and use technology and data to refine that. And that's not what Kyle Freeland, I think, needs right now. You know, driveline is a bigger process. But I, one of the things that struck me as I was reading it is I watched in the offseason, Jeff Breidich did an interview with, with, um, Tracy Ringlesby. And Tracy Ringlesby asked him about the move away from scouts. And Breidich said, we're doubling down on scouts. We think that's really valuable. And there's nothing in the MVP machine that suggests that scouts are going to continue to have the same kind of role that they've had. Because edutronic cameras and data tell them more about the potential of a player. And I'll say two other things about this, and then we can sort of talk about it. Nobody's better at this than the Astros, right? The Astros are terrific at finding players with characteristics they think they can develop and developing them and bring them up. Um, who was their player that they had? They brought up last weekend, um, Jordan. Uh, Jordan Alvarez. That's it, and he's so. I'm, who is traded from the Dodgers for like nothing, by the way? Correct, and 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 one that comes out of the Rockies' um, history is Colin McHugh. Right, they found something in Colin McHugh, and they the book describes this. They changed how they wanted him to approach pitching, and he became a very effective pitcher. Um, so that's the thing. The other thing is that the Dodgers are ahead of us, and I find that to be threatening. Well, not threatening, but it, at a time when we're looking at a baseball team that's that's what nine point five. No, we're back ten now. Right, ten games back. That's really daunting because it doesn't suggest that there's a future there. Um, but there's a line in the MVP machine where Kyle Bodie essentially says, given what we know about pitching right now, the hitters are just, they're in trouble for a while. Yeah. And so there's two things that you just said there that really interest me. Like one, just this idea of, of the hitters being in trouble. I think it's really interesting to, consider just the broader framework of what the MVP machine is talking about um, in light of these other issues that we see in baseball right now. Like I think it was uh, Ken Rosenthal this weekend or this past week uh, came out with an article that was criticizing where baseball is. He's, it's not baseball, it's bludgeon ball because there's too many home runs and strikeouts. And um, it's interesting to me, like, you know, it's an opinion that you can have and like, um, you know, whether I think personally, I think, uh, as I think it's, it's an aesthetic thing that, you know, just varies from people to people. Some people like more home runs. Some people like, uh, 
more balls in play, like, and that's fine. But but when you bring in all this player development aspect into it, it gets really interesting because then you see like it's a it's a race between or the hitters collectively and the pitchers collectively. And and when it comes down to it, there's only so much that a hitter can do. Uh, like, you know, individual hitters can get better by, uh, you know, adjusting their launch angles and, um, you know, retooling their swings. And, and we've seen that plenty before. And I'm sure that's, I haven't read MVP Machine, but I'm sure those guys come up as well a lot too. Um, but as a group, it's kind of hard to to do this when, when we have so much more data just on like what pitchers can do and like how pitchers can, you know, exploit their arsenals to be better and, you know, what parts of the zones can they pitch in that works bet that's best suited for their pitches, you know, because at the end of the day, the bet, the batter has to receive the ball. And so there's like, you can only take what's been given to you. So like, I, I think that's really interesting. And I think it has big implications for all these, you know, solutions that people propose to have about like, how do we fix the strikeout scourge or how do we fix the bludgeon ball? And like, it's like, well, I mean, part of this is just like the natural development of the game. Like, you know, the curveball when it was, when, or when the slider, I guess it was, when the slider was introduced, like that was a complete game changer in, in all kinds of ways, uh, you know, back in the mid, mid 20th century. And so like, maybe we're starting to see something along those lines, but it's just happening on a much more incremental basis than just this revolution of inventing a new page. But remember when Otto came back last year and we saw the slider in the beginning and we were like, oh my gosh, right? Oh, that, yeah. It was like, that, that's, that's the slider we felt. That's right. But he figured out how to make it do new things and it became unhittable, right? Um, that's what we're talking about. And whenever you're able to find players in the minor leagues... Um, or in Latin America, and develop them, then you're going to have effective, cheap players, and you're going to further undermine the um, free agency structure that's been in place. So it's it's all very complicated and very intricate. This is the other thing that I would say that I found really interesting. The players were, generally speaking, apparently very eager to talk with Sachik and Lin- and um, Lindbergh about what they did. And I have to tell you, as I watched it, I just saw millennials who just wanted to share, right? I mean, I was looking at my students thinking about the number of times they're sharing things, sharing videos, putting up, collaborating, working together. The organizations like the Astros don't want to talk about it. It's protected stuff for them, right? It's 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 a business approach to it. And they are while they're doing the same things, their end goals are fundamentally different. And I think that's going to lead to um, a conflict that we can't anticipate the resolution of. Yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not so sure about that necessarily. I, I think you're right in saying that it's, it's a fundamental difference in their goals because a player wants to get better for himself. And he wants to make and, more money, right? I mean, if yeah. you're Justin Turner, if you don't reinvent your swing with the Mets, you're done. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're out of baseball. Um, I, I think, so there's part of me that says like, doesn't want to ignore the fact that, that the money plays a factor for some of those players, but also like for the vast majority of these guys, like they want to compete. And if they, if they're not able to compete, like if they're not being successful, then they want, then they want to make a change so that they can be more successful. Right. And so, and, 
and I'm not a professional ball player and I haven't talked to enough professional ball players or even former whatever to know like how much of it is on one side or the other. But like, it, it seems to me that for a lot of guys, the, um, who are doing the reinventing, the, the money is going to be happy byproduct because it's an ego thing too. It's like, I, I like, I believe I can be better. I want to be better and I can get better. Um, and then the money just ref- is a reflection of the ego. Like you know, the money is uh, like, well, this is how much you're valued. Um, but for the, but for the teams, um, it's, it's all about competitive advantages against each other. Um, I, I think, I think sometimes we get caught into this thing, into this narrative of like, it's the players versus the owners. When I like, I think it's, the, it's the teams versus the teams. And so, yeah, the Astros are going to protect it because they clearly have an advantage. Like, very few teams are in their same stratosphere right now as far as being able to assemble a a team and identify talent and develop talent um, to to be successful. And, like, you know, they had to tear it down to the studs, and it was ugly for a while. But, like, I don't think anyone in Houston uh, right now really cares about how bad it was in the initial Jeff Lunau years. Um, and so if it means protecting their competitive advantage, like, yeah, we're not going to tell you how we identify or what we look for or all these things, because as soon as they do that, as soon as it's public knowledge, then the Dodgers are going to start doing it and the angels are going to start doing it. And the, uh, and the Yankees are going to start doing it. Like, you know, two of those teams are probably already doing it. (laughs) Um, but, um, but yeah, and it will. I think you're right in saying that it will have consequences for how the CBA goes. And, and you know, personally, I'm of the opinion like the CBA is three years away. Like I, I think both parties are too smart to realize that uh, there's not to, both parties are too smart not to realize that there's going to be ways that they can pull thing pull something together that's mutually beneficial for everyone. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, it makes sense to me why the teams and the players approach it differently and, and how that affects the game and how people interact with the game. One of the things that happens in the player side is there's this, it's a very punk ethos, right? So you've got this structure of professional development as it happens now. And this is very much about undoing that, rebelling against that, defying it. Yeah, taking control of it for yourself. And Correct. And so that's why whenever Adam Adovino comes back and Bud Black says, well, I hope you're not going to be thinking about stuff all the time. I mean, there's this real sense of Bud Black as the man, the boss, the power structure, right? So there is this very, in higher ed, we think of it as uncollege, right? But it's do it yourself, deconstruct what's there and rebuild it. So there's just a whole bunch going on. And I, even as I talk about this, I feel like I'm not getting to points very well because it's left me with so much to think about. But I will say there's one other thing I would add. I did not sufficiently appreciate the extent to which minor league baseball is a big laboratory. It's a big underpaid laboratory. And they're trying, teams are trying things with wearable technology. So this raises issues about your data, right? What does the team get to know about your biometrics and mm-hmm. stuff like and that? And how, how, so, how can they be allowed to use that or not use that and use it against you? Yes. Yeah, I think that's one of those things that's going to have to yes. come up. Like, that's, that's a huge privacy concern that has to come up in the next CBA. And so, 
One of the things that you could see happening in the MVP machine is they were telling this story and they kept going, oh my gosh, we've got to talk about this other thing or we're not, people are going to go, but they didn't talk about this other thing. And the last three chapters, they're just throwing <laughs> stuff out there and there's a whole other, but there's a whole other book there, right? And I think they would be the first people to say, we need to talk about this and there's just not room. So if you love baseball, read this book because it's an important book. Yeah. So one thing I would say to wrap up on this, Renee, um, yeah, so like my reading of this is like, Adovino comes back from Jive and he's like, oh man, check this out. I got, I found out all this information to get better. And Footblack's like, oh man, what's this going to mean now? And like, but you think, you were saying, right, that this might have changed how the Rockies are doing things because of what Adam Adovino learned? Don't you think, I mean, the based on the description in that book, right? The fact that they sent five players and a coach to driveline suggests that they said, okay, Ottavino wasn't just making it up. This is a real thing and we have to be able to do this or our pitchers aren't going to be successful. I mean, we're all asking ourselves, what's the deal with Chad Bettis, right? Well, I want to ask that too. But the second question I want to ask is, Chad, did driveline work for you and what did you learn there? Same thing with Brian Shaw. Did, did driveline help you out? And so those are questions that I have. One of the things they did, a um, the authors did a, a Reddit, ask me anything. And I asked them about the Rockies and they said the Rockies are behind. And this is the words they use, they're trying to catch up. So I take that to mean that they're trying to, to get in the right direction. And Jeff Breidich is never going to tell us any of this because like the Astros, why would you do that? But um, it is, it is an area of concern. Yeah, I think. And again, especially when we factor in the Dodgers and like, I, the the threat of the Dodgers has always been in their depth to me because they have the money and now they have smart people running the operation. So they're not just handing Matt Camp huge contracts, but they're like, they're figuring out, okay, well, instead of getting one Matt Camp, we can get three guys who, you know, can, can be a net positive over what, Matt Kemp could be, right? And so it's just been the depth to me that's always been haunting. But even more than that, now they can take those three guys and they can say, this is something they're good at. We'll develop them to be even and, and better then, at this thing. I mean, it's yeah, that kind of get, micro-programming. Uh, Justin Turner and uh, Chris Taylor and Max Muncy. And then it's just like, and at that point, it's just like, what can we do? Like, they're, they're pulling these guys out of nowhere because for whatever reason, they have the guys who have the right eyes um, who can see which players can, can make the changes. And so like, so yeah, it is haunting because it, you know, I remember before the season, a lot of people were like, man, I think this is the year that the Rockies can really um, catch the Dodgers. Cause they don't seem like they've gotten that much better. And like, they seem like they have holes. And the, the whole time I was just like, I don't know if that's true. Y'all like, I just think, uh, I, I don't see a team that's gotten worse. I, I see I see us as a team that missed our shot last year. And, and being 10 and a half games back on Father's Day makes me think that even more. And like going into all this discussion about MVP machine, like makes me just think like, okay, well, maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can make the world series as a wild card, but man, I'm not, I'm just, <laughs> uh, the hopes for a division are really paltry for me right now. Now, we did see John Gray in a Denver Post article talk a little bit about his experience. So that's one current Rocky we've been able to see. Was there anything that stood out to you from that article, Renee? You know, this is what I thought was really interesting about it. Um, Gray has always struck me as the most spiritual of the Rockies 
pitchers, which I know sounds weird, but he says in, for him that, that pitching was always about feel. He talks about his slider and he said it was about feel. And in that Denver Post article, he describes how looking at his pitch with an edgertronic camera showed him about the hand positioning. And that was a difference that he made. And when you couple that with what Nick Grope described with the sort of, of psychological training that he's doing for himself, I think that's a really interesting combination. Because as I was reading it, driveline just didn't seem like a John Gray kind of place for me. Um, but I think it worked for him. Uh, just, to get, just to get on my soapbox about John Gray a little bit. Please. Here, here um, let me adjust this for you, sir. Okay. <laughs> It's just uh, that Nick Groke article is very good about John Gray and about his just this whole psychological impact beyond even driveline. And it's just like these are these are really stressful situations that you find yourself in as a professional athlete. And how we react as human beings is just you have to teach yourself how not to react in a normal way to be a competitive athlete like that. And it just comes easier for others and just what John Gray is when people are calling him a head case, it's he was it, he's he's not it's not weakness of mentality. It's behaving like a human naturally does. There's nothing wrong with him. He's actually behaving like a human being naturally would. And it's it's just like you have to change your emotions. And it can be true in a lot of different areas like me. When I, I get public speaking, I have kind of anxiety about that, but I try to channel it into some sort of adrenaline that helps me to perform better. And it's just the stress about pitching in stressful situations undoubtedly is going to get the better of almost anybody. And it seems like Gray here is now taking extensive measures that he can to make the mound a place of the serenity. And that can be the mound can be a place that's far from a serene place at times. And Gray is doing, I think, everything he needs to to get to that place where it's going to be a good place for him. Which was why yesterday, whenever Black put him in at the bottom of the ninth inning, right? I just thought, this can't work. And it isn't about John Gray. It is about the fact that he has a methodology that he uses when he is pitching, and that got thrown out. And people were like, well, just go throw strikes. And you want to say, it's more complicated than that. Yeah. So, I, yeah. When that happened, when I saw that Gray was in the bullpen, Yesterday, Sunday, I was like, oh, well, it looks like Bud's already prepping for extra innings. I would have rather have seen, like, I know that Oberg had been overworked over the past few days. I would have rather seen Oberg in there to try and get that one last out and keep it a tie game. And then you bring John Gray in, and, like, if it gets there in the top of the 10th, in which case, like, he, he can more easily replicate his starter's kind of mentality. Like, he never enters a game with runners on base. And so, like... So yeah, it was disappointing. That's that's one of the few times where I've actually watched Bud Black and be like, man, you just you just didn't do right by your pitchers in that situation. So I haven't felt that way about Bud Black with a pitcher since that Adamatovino fiasco a few years ago where he threw like forty eight pitches or whatever it was. So it was hard to watch. It was a hard weekend to watch. Can we stop talking about this series? I hate this series. <laughs> it's in the past, man. Fire up the fountains. Now it's time for another edition of everyone's favorite game, Fire Up the Fountains. 
we're going to be talking about some bold predictions, sort of, and just if if our bold predictions from the past have turned on our, on us and if they will continue going forward. All right, let's play. First of all, will Kyle Freeland return to form? He's been very bad. He's not been very good in AAA either in his few starts down there. Will Kyle Freeland return to form? What do you say, Renee? You know, this breaks my heart. I'm so sorry to say it. I don't think he's going to get it done this year. I, th I think I think 2019 Kyle Freeland is 2018 John Gray. I think he's going to have trouble working it out. But you know what? I think he's going to come back in 2020 and be like a Cy Young contender. I think he's going to be that good. But I think for him, this is going to be one of those awful character building years where he has to work a bunch of stuff out. And I'm so sorry for him, but I think it's going to be it's going to be integral to his development going forward. What do you think, Adam? I'm going to give a qualified fire up the fountains, I guess. So maybe put him up on half speed. I, I think he'll be back. I, uh, I think when I think 2018, John Gray, I think l getting left off the NLDS roster. Um, I think were the Rockies to make it to the playoffs and make it to the NLDS. Um, I don't think they make it without Freeland, at least maybe, maybe rookie year Freeland. Um, uh, so Return to form, no, because he was he was so great last year, and I, I feel like there's just there's just not enough time in the season left to fix it all. But I do think he can come back and be uh, be someone that we can feel okay, at least okay about putting out there um, every fifth day, even if we don't feel great like we did last year. I hope I'm wrong. I really want to be wrong. Yeah. So ben, I hope I'm wrong you? too. But yeah, as. A return to form as in a return to last year, no. Um, hope, I, I don't know what he's going to be like, but hopefully he can return to at least uh, rookie year Freeland. Uh, next question. Ian Desmond right now, slugging percentage over 500, WRC plus over 100. Will Desmond keep it up? Renee? I'm going to fire up the fountains. I think Ian is in the zone. I think I think um, the universe is coming back to to pay him a solid for a couple of really bad years, and I just think Ian is going to rake his way all the way to October. So the fountains are fired up for Ian Desmond, which is one of those sentences that I never thought I'd say, but I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, qualified fire up the fountains. He will continue to be better than we have ever seen him before in Iraqi's uniform. Yes. But maybe this good, maybe not. This is an interesting one. Will Charlie Blackman keep up his career year? Now, I'm going to eat crow myself on this one because I thought coming into this season, Charlie Blackman would take a big step back as he continues to age. But he's actually doing better than he did in his MVP caliber 2017 season. Renee, do you think Blackman will keep it up. Yes, I think he will continue. I don't think so. I think he'll come down a little bit, but I think he will um, have a career year. I think he's that locked in. I think there's a part of Charlie Blackman that knows that this is his time, right? He's not getting any younger and it has to happen now. And I also think he's a testament to experience. This is what can happen when you've practiced and thought about it and looked at it and studied. I'm a fan of the good student. Let me just say that up front. So I'm firing up the fountains for that one. Yeah, so Adam? it sounds like you're. Renee, you think that he's in that sweet spot where he still is young enough to where he can he has the physical tools, but he also is old enough to where he's got those mental tools. 
the MVP, the MVP machine has convinced me that a player who is astute and realistic about his physical place can use that to his betterment. And I think Blackman is there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to fire up the fountains. Uh, as much as I love good Charlie Blackman, um, I just, uh, uh, I, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. I guess that's kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, I don't want to be disappointed by uh, Charlie Blackman. So I'm, I'm doing, taking the coward's way out and setting low expectations. So I'd be surprised. Oh, Adam, it's too late. Your two-year-old is singing your love. Uh, You're in, dude. You cannot back out of this one. Ben, how, how much crow are you going to eat? I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... Nah, he won't have a career year. Yeah, that's... I mean, I I don't think... I thought he was going to be like less than 100 WRC plus, to be honest with you. And I think he's going to, he is going to be better than that. He's definitely better than that right now. This is Will Tony go ahead. Uh, this is one of the things. I hope that people who listen to this podcast will tweet at us and tell us what they think about our predictions and if we're right or wrong and lay their own in because I'm always really curious about how folks read where the Rockies are now. And that's what's our Twitter at altitude effect at altitude effect. That is the podcast Twitter. Yes. Next question. Will Tony Walters keep it up? What do you say? Um, I, I believe in the stash. I'm firing up the fountains. Um, uh, as, as Renee kind of pointed out, like his, his defensive numbers aren't quite where they've been recently, but um, now I'm not necessarily going to say that, Tony Walters is going to be, you know, one of the top five catchers in in the National League. But I do think he can be a top ten guy. Um, I think he's made enough changes. I think he's putting things together. Like, um, yeah, I'm I'm buying it. I'm I'm firing up those fountains for Tony. I'm going to fire him up myself. I think he I, I think he's gotten a taste for hitting. I think he's become consistent in his swing. I think he likes it, and I think the stash is going to carry us all through. So. I'm in. I will fire up to the extent that I'd say Walter should start against at least right-handed pitching every day. <laughs> he is that good. That's, that's, a, that's a very qualified response. <laughs> uh, now let's talk about Ryan McMahon. Will McMahon solidify himself and take the reins at second base? I don't remember who I asked first last time, so whoever I did not ask can go first. Well, that would be me, and you know what? I am, I am, I am in on Ryan McMahon. I think Ryan McMahon is finding his zone. I think he's finding his swing. I think the man is going to rake. I think, I think the Rockies are going to have a glut of infielders, and it's going to be very exciting. And let me just also say, on an unrelated and unimportant note, that watching him and Trevor play air basketball after a victory is my favorite thing in the world ever. <laughs> Adam, what do you think about Ryan McMahon? Uh, I think I, I I love Ryan McMahon. I want to believe. Um, I I haven't seen quite enough yet um, to to believe fully. Uh, I, I I think he'll be the everyday second baseman just because uh, by default. But no, I'm not going to fire up the fountains here. Um, he's uh, he's hitting more ground balls right now, uh, which is uh, than he has in his previous two years, which which is a real negative indicator for me. 
Um, he's making better contact overall. Um, and so maybe, maybe I'll eat my words on that, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm not looking for Ryan McMahon to be a, uh, a highlight hitter. I think, I think he'll keep getting those big hits when he, when he needs to get those big hits. Uh, but yeah, I'm not firing up the bounce here. Ben. Um, I love myself some good on base percentage and Ryan McMahon has that he's hitting 263 with a 345 on base problem I've had with Ryan McMahon all season is baseball prospectus his DRC plus has been down it's only 87 and when you look at the overall slash line it looks like it should be better than that I'm happy with the results that we've seen from McMahon and I want to believe in him going forward but I'm not sure he's going to keep up what he's been doing for our next question Will Jesus Tinoco stick around and be effective? He's only appeared in two games, but he's been quite good. He's been a stopper in those games. What do you think about Tinoco, Adam? Um, I think winning the Troy Tulowitzki trade uh, is dependent. T-R-A-I-D. Yes, is, is dependent on, on Jesus Tinoco at this point. Well, not really, but, but kind of. Uh, I... I'm not firing up the... Well, the question is, is he going to stick around? Then then yes, I'll fire up those fountains because, as we discussed, the bullpen needs help. Um, but, uh, but yeah, is, is he going to be the uh, the new 7th or 8th inning guy? Like, uh, I'm not I'm not ready to go that far. I'm just sounding like the most enthusiastic person at Purple <laughs> Row right now because I am all in on Jesus Tinoco too, right? Um, we haven't seen very much of him. I know that. But if you remember last year, Bud Black was, he really gave the pitchers time to work it out until the All-Star break. And after the All-Star break, he stopped doing that. There was no more Brian Shaw in a high leverage situation. I mean, he gets serious about it. And I expect after the All-Star break that he will do the same thing. I mean, this is a coach who left John Gray off the 40-man roster and Adam Wadovino before, I mean, off. I'm sorry, off the 25-man roster to go to the postseason. Sorry. And I think they'll. I think he'll be pretty ruthless about it because I think he's going to want to win. And I think Tonoko is going to be a pitcher who's going to show him he can do that. So I'm. I'm in. That's true because last season we saw DJ Johnson and Yancy Almonte start to get some more appearances because some of the more higher paid guys like McGee and Shaw just weren't getting it done. Um. I think well, Tonoko's numbers in AAA were not good this year. But so it's that a, but gives it's me some PCL, pause. right? That's that's very true. Philip Deal's numbers are very bad, and I, I that, he had a really high home run rate, and everything else was going well for him too. So that's another PCL. I don't know Tinoco. I think Tinoco's pros, prospect status has fallen for me each time we've done the perp rankings. Same for Castellani. I don't know. I think Tinoco will stick around, and he will be, I guess, better than Mike Dunn. <laughs> And we'll stick with the Tulowitzki trade for our final fire at the fountains question. Will Jeff Hoffman solidify himself as a starter every fifth day in this rotation? I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to, if Freeland doesn't work it out, I think he's going to, and I think he's going to show himself to be fine in the Sensatella mode. In other words, he's not going to be in the Marquez mode where he's mowing him down, but I think he's going to show himself to be reliable enough 
And so I think I think Antonio Sensatella 2.0 is Jeff Hoffman with goggles. That's me. Uh, that, that's the least enthusiastic you've been on any of these, <laughs> I think. Sorry. Uh, but which which kind of takes the wind out of my sails because that, that's about where I was. Uh, I think, um, I think I think that Antonio Sensatella comp is is adequate. I think uh, I'll fire up the fountains on. Jeff Hoffman staying in the rotation the rest of the year. They had a baby in the off season, and last year that was a really good indicator for pitchers. <laughs> but you know, yeah, you never know. He might have to start, you know, potty training soon. Who knows? Like, <laughs> ben, how about you? How are you feel about Jeff Hoffman? Fire up the fountains on Jeff Hoffman. I think he's going to be a very solid member of this rotation going forward. I'm high on Jeff Hoffman. And that'll do it for Fire Up the Fountains. Unless you want, did you want it? Did anyone want to add? You know what? I have one quick one that they're not prepared for this one. So this will be fun. Is Peter Lambert going to give Herman Marquez a run for the Silver Slugger? (laughs) Oh, I hope so. (laughs) Um, Because if he does, that means he sticks around, right? Um, But uh, I, I think it's, I think the Silver Slugger will go to whoever hits the home run first. And so I, uh, I mean, Peter Lambert still looks like three small children uh, in a trench coat stacked on top of one another. So I just don't know if he's got the power to get it out there. Uh, so I'll, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to say no, just because he's not going to get the extra base hits. But I think he might beat him on average. Yeah, I'll say no, because you just made a very <laughs> persuasive argument. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Affected by Altitude. Let's talk about some upcoming games for the rest of the month of June. Rockies are on a nine-game road trip. They're going to go to Arizona, then to Los Angeles to play the Dodgers, and finally to San Francisco. Then a homestand. Isn't that great that you had to come home? Oh, but we're playing the Dodgers for four games. Here's a look at some of the interesting uh, television shenanigans that will take place. Uh, There's a few games not on ATT Sportsnet Rocky Mountain. A few games... On Big Fox, let's talk about this. Thursday, June 20, the game at Arizona is not going to be on ATT Sportsnet Rocky Mountain. It'll either be on Fox Sports Arizona, which is the Diamondbacks TV broadcast, or you can listen on KOA AM. Saturday, June 22 at the Dodgers, that's going to be a game on Fox. It's the Big Fox, so even with an antenna on your roof, you can watch that game. Monday, June 24 at the Giants as well as Tuesday, June 25th at the Giants, are both going to be on ESPN, but it's only if you're out of market. So if you're in the Denver area, if you get the Regional Sports Network, ATT, you will only be able to watch it there. If you're out of market, however, ESPN will be carrying those broadcasts. Wednesday, June 26th at San Francisco, that's also not going to be on ATT. If you have MLB.TV and are not blacked out in the Denver area, you can watch the NBC Sports Bay area, or you can listen on KOA. But those are two games, unfortunately, that are not going to be on television in the uh, market area for the Rockies. Thursday, June 27, the game against the Dodgers is going to be on MLB Network, and that is for those who are going to be out of market. Otherwise, you can watch an ATT. And Saturday, June 29, that game versus the Dodgers is also going to be on Big Fox. And Sunday, June 30 at the Dod- against the Dodgers is going to be Trevor Story Bobblehead Day. 
So that'll be a great day for us all to enjoy. Trevor's story, maybe he'll go, maybe he'll hit for the cycle. Who knows? And before we leave you, I want to tell you about a new thing that we're going to be starting. Uh, Eric Garcia McKinley and Sam Bradfield, both of whom were not able to join us today, are going to be starting a little bit of a minor league uh, update mini Pebblecast. We've seen uh, Sam take over the reins of Pebble reports on Mondays, and she's going and Eric are going to be starting up a little bit of a mini Pebble cast. We're going to call it. Not sure exactly when that's going to start, but stay tuned in the near future. This has been Ben Kuchnerkavich with you on this episode of Affected by Altitude. You can follow me on Twitter at the Kuchnerkavich. Uh, try and spell it as best as you can, or you can follow us all on alti- at Altitude Effect. That's Altitude with an A and Effect with an E on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a blast.